to 35. Good to be with you this morning and to get to praise our King together. If you haven't already turned your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, that's where we're going to be this morning. I invite you to join me there. And if you don't have a Bible, there's one uh, in the pocket in front of you. We'd love for you to have a copy of God's Word if you don't own one. And this morning, uh, the theme of this text, or one of the major predominant themes of this passage, is the idea of waiting. It's the theme of waiting. And uh, this is a really appropriate thing to talk about this time of year because Christmas uh, is a lot about waiting, uh, if, especially if you can think back to your childhood or maybe some of you have children in your home. Everyone has a hard time waiting for Christmas to finally get here. I don't know about you, but this is how it is for my kids. They're constantly counting the days, and every day seems further than the day before. I don't know if you've ever felt that way, but there's this waiting, there's an anticipation, when is Christmas finally going to get here? When we finally get to Christmas Eve, uh, there's the waiting and the ride on the car to get to the relative's house. When you finally get to the, the Christmas dinner, Christmas Eve, or Christmas Day, there's waiting until you open your Christmas presents. It's just this time of waiting. Uh, and, and the problem about waiting uh, for us as a people and us as a culture is we, we struggle to wait well, right? We, we have a hard time being patient. Uh, we live in an instant world, we live in an instant age, and let's just be really honest. Like, if, uh, if you are on your phone and you're trying to load a website and it's not loading fast enough, there begins to be a little frustration that comes up inside of you, or it might be behind that slow driver that's just not quite moving and you've got somewhere to go. Uh, if you're watching your YouTube video, your Netflix movie, like, we can't stand that 10-second ad drives us crazy. Will that just not end? Can we get rid of it? You know, we'll pay fees to be able to remove the ads so that we don't have to be held back. Uh, for those of you who go and you mobile order from Starbucks, if it's not there ready waiting, you know, it's frustrating for us or Chick-fil-A. You, you, you guys understand that. You get that. We live in this instant society. In fact, we have a hard time waiting for Christmas. We like to start Christmas around Halloween, right? You know, you go to Sam's or Walmart, and let's just stop there for a second. How many of you are proud of the fact that, like, you started prepping your house for Christmas like a month, month and a half before Christmas ever showed up. Anybody in this room is like, that's me, I'm Mary, you know, get over it, that's okay. So some of you, how many of you can't stand, like, the Christmas stuff coming out before Thanksgiving? Anybody? Okay, in the room. So you guys need to talk to the other guys before we take the Lord's Supper and just kind of, like, make some amends there. There might be some bitterness or frustration in your heart toward the curmudgeons or toward the, the over-exuberance, and so let's... Make sure you work that out before we come to the Lord's table in a few minutes. But, but the reason why I, I want us to talk about this is because waiting is hard for us. It, it's hard for us as human beings, but it's especially hard in the culture in which we live. But what we see in this text this morning is that waiting is a defining mark of the people of God. And as we talk about Advent, in case you weren't here last week, Advent means coming. It means arrival. And when we celebrate Advent as the church and has for centuries, what we're doing is we are celebrating the second coming of Christ that is yet to come while looking back at his first Advent that we celebrate at Christmas time. And so we look at the saints long ago in these passages of Scripture and we see the way that they were looking for the coming of King Jesus. And we join in them in their 
anticipation and in their longing and in their waiting and in their trusting and in their rejoicing. We, we look at their lives and recognize that they were looking for the Savior to come. The Savior has come and we rejoice in that, but he's also coming again. And so we learn from them what it looks like for us to be Jesus followers. And last week we talked about how Jesus followers long for their king, that if we are resting in our Savior, there's going to be a deep longing for us, for our King to return, to know our King, to obey our King, but to see Him face to face. And the the thing that we were challenged with last week from Isaiah 9 is, what is the greatest longing of your heart this morning? What is the greatest longing of my life today? And we are asking during this time of year that just like the longing of God's people was set on their king, that God would create that kind of longing in your heart and my heart, that our lives would be matched by that. And this morning, we want to enter into the next part of that, which is waiting, a defining marker of God's people as they wait for the king. And that's our big truth this morning, that Jesus' followers wait for their king. Jesus' followers, they wait for their king. We want our lives as Christians, if you're here and and you'd say, yes, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, we want our lives to be defined by waiting. So here's, uh, and we see this in this text all throughout, but I want to highlight it in verse 25. So if you have your Bible open, Luke 2, verse 25, it says, now now there was a man, and that, that word now, it can also be translated behold. So this is a pivot point in the text. It's calling out exclamation. This is really important what it's about to say. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And I'll just pause there for a second. This is all we know about this man. Simeon does not appear in any other account in the Gospels. He's not show up anywhere in the Bible. This is the only glimpse of him that we see. But because he is here and he's here at this juncture at, at Jesus' birth, he is significant. And whatever is about to happen is significant. Luke is bringing him out in this story as one of three testimonies from Jesus' early childhood for a very specific reason. It's to help his readers that he is writing this letter for to know from beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is the one true Messiah. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting, there's our key word, for the consolation, which means comfort, of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, which is an important statement, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord Christ. So what we see is a picture of a man who's faithfully serving God, faithfully obeying God's word, faithfully worshiping God, day after day after day, waiting on the redemption of Israel waiting on the Savior, waiting on the King, hoping in the King, worshiping the King, glad in the King. And so the question for you and for me this morning is this, and if you're taking notes, I want you to write this question down, because this is the one I want you to think about this week, and even pray about, meditate on this week. Here's the question. Do you wait well? You could personalize it. Do I wait well? Do you wait on the king? And I'm just going to be completely transparent. If you're anything like me, the answer to that question is probably no. That in the busy and the hustle and bustle of life, the busy and the hustle and bustle of our of our world, and even more deeply, can we be completely honest this morning? 
the hustle and bustle in our souls. Instead of rest and waiting, there's often anxiety and fear and hurry and working and striving and weariness. And so this morning, what we want to do in the time we have left is just kind of enter into this text and and ask and try to answer the question, what does it mean to wait for the king? What does it look like to wait for the king? How do we practically wait for the king? How do we cultivate these things in our hearts so that the grip of this world can begin to loosen and our hearts can fully belong to Jesus Christ? Just like we see in this man named Simeon. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. There's notes available for you online in case you don't get all these things that we're going to focus on. But what I want to do is we're going to walk through this text and we're going to look at this theme called waiting. But before we dive straight into this, I think it's important to to lay out some principles of waiting. Waiting is seen all throughout Scripture and this call to wait on the Lord, wait on Him. And so I want to give you three principles about waiting this morning. Then we're going to look at three pictures of waiting in this passage that we just heard read to us. And then we're going to look at four or three practices, three practical implications of how do we as God's people wait. And I know those all start with a P because I'm a pastor and that's just what we do. So let's start with the principles this morning. Principles of waiting. What does it mean to wait for our king? Here's the first principle that we need to wrestle through. Waiting is the posture of a heart that is resting in God. What does it mean to wait for the king? Waiting is a posture of the heart that is resting in God. Waiting means to depend on God, to trust in God. It means that your soul is devoted to him. It's abiding in him is the word that we like to use here. If you've ever, if you have any kids or if you've ever been around kids, especially when they're really young, you kind of can see this picture in children. Um, My youngest son is Trip, and he's three and a half years old, and this is true of him now, but it's especially true that he's a baby. Children just look to their parents for everything, right? Uh, They're not worried about, you know, how's dad's day going to be at work. They're not worried when the next bill's going to come from. They're not worried about how much money is the bank account. There's only one thing that kids care about. They go to their parents for everything. And they trust in their parents for everything. And you can think about a baby and it's just reliance on its mom. But children, they just, they trust that their parents are going to take care of them. Jesus said that this kind of trust, this kind of faith that children have, is the kind of faith that it takes to be saved. And this is, this is the picture of what it looks like to wait on the Lord. When we talk about waiting, it's not being still or sitting in a red light or just sitting by the bed and just saying, okay, God, you're going to show up today. Now, waiting on the Lord is a posture of the heart. It's saying instead of having a busy soul, a stressed out soul, a scattered soul, a scattered heart, God, I am resting in you. I am waiting on you. I am hoping in you. Let me just give you a couple passages to help us understand this. I've given you several verses in the notes. Isaiah 64.4, from of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen, a God besides you who acts for those, listen to this, who wait for him. God works, he acts, he fights for those who wait on him. It's pretty cool. Earlier in Isaiah, Isaiah 25, 9, it will be said on that day, behold, the Lord is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. 
let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Again, the context of this is exile and captivity and pain and hardship and darkness, waiting on God. So waiting is our soul resting in dependence on him. Let me give you two other principles really quickly just to help shape it. Secondly, this. Waiting on God is not opposed to working for God as long as the working is an overflow of the waiting. You might say, okay, that's a little confusing. Let's break that down, okay? Waiting on God is not opposed to working. So there's two kind of ditches that we can fall into when we talk about waiting on the Lord. One ditch is we fall into the, and we fall into is when we say waiting means I'm not going to do anything. I don't need to do anything. God's got this. God's taking care of all this. So I'm just going to kind of do my own thing over here. God's got it. Well, that's one ditch that we don't want to fall into. That's sinful. Another ditch is that we work without waiting. A lot of us do this. We try to earn our acceptance before God. We try to accomplish things on our own. We, we work really hard to make God love us. Well, that's, that's another ditch that we fall into. And Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 talks about this. For by grace we are saved through faith. It's not of our own doing. It's a gift of God, not of works so that anyone can boast. But then in verse 10 it says that we were created in Christ Jesus for good works. Translation. You and I are meant to work for the glory of God. We are to be spent for the gospel. But that is coming out of the overflow of a heart that is waiting in God. Our working flows out of our resting, our waiting in Him. Which leads to the third principle, which kind of flows out of the last one. Waiting on God without working for God is impossible. And this is what James says in James chapter 2, that faith without works is dead. And so we can't wait on God, rest in God, without working for God. When we are resting in God, we are going to be working for God. So before we kind of get into the text and to the practical implications, I wanted to kind of lay some of these things out for us. Because again, I think most of us, we struggle with not waiting on the Lord and kind of rushing on ahead. We're not working for the Lord out of our waiting. And we want to get those things in the right balance that our soul is fully devoted to Him, and out of our resting in Him that we are laboring for the glory of God. So that's what waiting is. What does waiting look like? I want us to look at three pictures of waiting that we see in this text. So if you have your Bible open in Luke chapter 2, we see three pictures. Here's the first one. Mary and Joseph waiting in sacrificial obedience for God's promise. Simeon is not the only one who we see waiting. We see waiting in the life of Mary and Joseph. Look at verse 22. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him, Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As was written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb should be called holy to the Lord. So this is quoting from Leviticus chapter 12. So if you want to go back and do some more study, you can kind of see the connection that's here. But what, what's happening is that Mary and Joseph, they've been given this calling by God that we're going to explore over the next couple weeks, so we won't dive into it now. But they are trusting God's promise about their son Jesus. But they're not just trusting it, they're walking in sacrificial obedience. They are doing what God's law requires of them. So their waiting is marked by an obedience, an obedience to God's law. And so God's law commanded that for a woman who had been given birth, that there was a purification that needed to take place, and that's what's happening here. And there's also a consecration that has to take place. 
Verse 24, to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. And so what, what we see here is that Joseph and Mary is that they were obeying God's word. They were obeying God's law, trusting that what he said about their son was going to become true. And I think a couple of things that are important to note about this sacrifice. One, it talks about turtle doves or pigeons. And in the purification laws, it says that you can offer uh, a lamb, or if you are, don't have the means, you can offer doves or pigeons. And so one of the things this tells us is that at least at this stage of life, Mary and Joseph were poor. They didn't have means. They didn't have income. This was the best that they could do, but they were giving of themselves the sacrifice to God. This is part of what waiting looks like. Another unique picture in this is that as Mary is going through the purification process, it's pointing to us as people to realize that we need to be purified, that we need to be purified for our sins. And this price that was paid was also paid for Jesus himself as the firstborn son. And so in a way, the Redeemer is being redeemed, not from sin, but he is, Jesus himself is undergoing this process of the law. And the reason why this is happening is to point to our need for redemption. So by Mary and Joseph faithfully obeying God, waiting on God through this practice of obeying the law, they are actually a picture of the redemption that you and I need from our sin, which is such a cool thing to think about, cool thing to see. I also think, just kind of an aside, I, I think this is a, a beautiful picture of family discipleship. And we talk about equipping our families a lot, but Mary and Joseph, as their child is still an infant, are putting practices into place to obey God's law so that Jesus would grow up in an environment that put God first. That's challenging for you and for me, for those of us who are parents and grandparents in the room. So one picture is Mary and Joseph. A second picture is that a Simeon waiting in joyful dependence for God's Savior. Look again at verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and he was righteous and devout. And those are really important words. See, Simeon wasn't just waiting for the Savior to come. He was faithful in his dependence upon God. He was righteous, meaning in his action towards other people, it was above reproach. He was devout. That speaks to his worship of God, his waiting for the comforter to come, the one who would redeem Israel, was marked by faithful waiting. His faith produced a life of faithfulness. And church, this needs to become true of me and become true of you. If we are Jesus followers, a life of faith should produce a life of faithfulness in us. Waiting marked by faithfulness. So he was righteous, he was devout, waiting for the consolation, the comfort of, his, of Israel. And that word consolation, uh, it's the same word, it means comfort, but it's the same word that's later described by Jesus the Holy Spirit as the comforter. So paraclete, or paraclesis is the Greek word, and, and here's why that matters. As he is waiting for the comfort of Israel, the reason why he's waiting the, it, for Israel's comfort is because the Holy Spirit is upon him. Meaning the comforter is upon his life and he is waiting for the comfort of Israel. So let me translate that for you and for me just in practical everyday life. Is this, really practical. When we walk in dependence upon the Holy Spirit, the desires of the Spirit become our desires. The comforter produces a longing for comfort in Simeon's life. 
when you and I are walking by the Spirit in obedience to God's Word, guess what's going to happen? Your desires, my desires, are going to become the desires of the Spirit who's living in us, who's indwelling us, who's filling us. And not only is he waiting for the comfort of Israel, but it says the Holy Spirit was upon him. And that's a really important phrase because that doesn't happen a whole lot at this time in redemption history. There's not been any prophets for 400 years. No prophetic voice. Everything's been darkness. They're uh, under Roman occupation. Uh, they have, don't have their freedoms. They're heavily taxed. There's no hope for a king. In all of this, the Spirit is at work in his life. And what uh, he had, Simeon had in his life, is actually a normal reality that we have as believers to be encouraged by. We have the Holy Spirit living us. So let's just keep going. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit, so again, walking in obedience in the temple. And when his parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, again, shows their waiting in obedience, he, Simeon, took him, Jesus, up in his arms, and he blessed God. It's just rejoicing, and this is what he says. Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people, Israel. So when Simeon finally sees Jesus, the baby Jesus, he just erupts in praise. Everything he had been waiting for, everything he had been hoping for, he was now seeing. And you can just see in his words and see in this picture that Jesus is everything his heart and soul desires. In fact, he even says, I can die now. Can I just pause there for a second? That's incredibly convicting for me. I I pray that it be said of me, it be said of you, it be said of us as the people of God, that we would be so captured by Jesus that to know him, to see him, to love him would be better than life itself. That I don't need anything else. I don't need a better job. I don't need a better thing for my kids. I I don't need that. Jesus, you are everything. And to have you is all that I need. And this life of waiting in Simeon shows that when we are waiting on the king and waiting for the king, the king becomes the greatest treasure in us. Friends, is the king your greatest treasure this morning? Is Jesus better than life itself this morning? Even as we come down to the table in just a few minutes to remember Christ's death in our place, this is an opportunity for us to confess and repent if Christ is not the greatest treasure for us this morning. If we could not with Simeon say, you are enough, I can depart, I can die, I can go in peace, you are everything, this is an opportunity for us to say, Lord, please do that in me. Please break the things in my life that keep me from being that. But not only do you see the picture of Mary and Joseph waiting, the picture of Simeon waiting, but Simeon's a part of a remnant. And remnant means like a leftover people, a small group of people who are faithful, who remain. A remnant waiting in hopeful resilience for God's redemption. See, Mary and Joseph aren't the only ones waiting. Simeon's not the only one waiting. There's actually a people who are waiting. And, and we see that. We didn't read it this morning. We'll actually cover this in a couple weeks. But if you look down to verse 38 in your Bible, it talks about Anna. And it says that she spoke to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. 
That's really important because what it tells us is that Simeon was not alone. Simeon was part of a remaining group of faithful believers who, in spite of the darkness of the day, in spite of the political turmoil, in spite of the uncertainty, in spite of not seeing any hope or any light in the world around them, they were trusting God for his promises that he would send redemption through a redeemer. Friends, one of the defining markers of the church throughout the centuries, the true church, has been a people, a remnant, a group, who are faithfully enduring whatever the world brings, waiting for the hope of Jesus. Resilient, steadfast, enduring to the end. And again, can I just speak personally? This is incredibly convicting for me. We don't do that very well today. We get bent out of shape over the smallest of things. Like the coffee isn't the right brew at church this morning and it frustrates us. The parking spot or can't sit in the place I want to sit at. And what we see pictured here is a people walking through suffering and hardship and pain waiting for redemption. And that redemption is categorized and characterized by this song that Simeon sings in verses 29 through 32. In verses 31 and 32, it says that he has prepared this salvation for all peoples in the presence of the peoples. And so this this faithful group of believers, they weren't just looking for the redemption of Israel, but they were looking for the redemption of all people, all nations. And you can see that in verse 32. It says, a light of revelation for the Gentiles, meaning this gospel is going to go out to all people groups. The light of the gospel is going to shine on them praise God, and for the glory of the people Israel. So for Israel and for the Gentiles, like we talked about when we went through Romans 10 and 11 and 9, this is going to come about through this one and they are waiting on him. And this redemption, it's going to come at great cost. This redemption is going to cause division. This redemption is going to be something that will reveal hearts and reveal minds. This redemption and this redeemer is going to change everything. Friends, are you and I waiting for our Redeemer? So we've talked about what waiting is. We, we see pictures, illustrations of waiting in this passage through Mary and Joseph, through Simeon, through these faithful people waiting for the Savior to come again. So let's just be practical for a few moments. How do we cultivate a posture of waiting? in our lives. And and the way I want us to look at this is through our our three big ideas. And I'm just going to touch on these now. There's all kinds of content available for you through the Family Discipleship Plan. We'll also talk more about that this week at Behind the Message. But three practical things that you can ask God to do in your life that will help you embrace a posture and pursuit of waiting. First one is this. We wait patiently for our King. We know that we are developing a posture of waiting when our waiting is marked by patience. Patience. We wait patiently on the king. And again, this is so hard for us. And I'll specifically just speak to those of you who are younger in the room. So those of you who are millennials like myself, or those of you who are teenagers, or even children in the room who are Jesus followers, we have a hard time being patient sometimes, don't we? We want to move past where we are. just want to encourage you. Pray that God would cultivate a heart of patience in your life. 
waiting on God. How do we do that? How do we cultivate patience? Two quick realities. Uh, One is this. We do that by trusting God's purposes. When we begin to cultivate patience in our lives is by trusting God's purposes that even if we can't see what he's working, what he's working is for his glory and for our good. A second way that we cultivate patience in our lives is we trust God's process. By trusting God's process. A lot of times we want to get out of the life circumstances we're in, but the reason we are in the life circumstances we're in is because God wants us there. Because God is doing something through your sickness, doing something through your family, doing something through your school, doing something through your job, whatever it is that you're up against, God is using that thing in the life of his believers, his followers, to shape them into his image. And we grow in patience when we embrace his process, when we embrace his purposes. Another mark uh, of waiting for the king that's just really, really practical is this, is that we wait expectantly for the king. Not only do we wait patiently for the king, but we want to pray that God will cultivate in our hearts an expectation for the king. And I love this. We see this in Simeon's life. Simeon's not just going through the, re- the motions. He is excited He is worshiping. There's two times in this text where he blesses God. He praises God. It's exclamation. It's it's worship. And again, Pastor Mike mentioned it. We don't know how old Simeon is, but you can guess from the flow of the text that Simeon's probably a very old man. He's probably lived a lot of his life waiting to get to see the Savior. And not a day goes by that Simeon is not waiting in expectation that God will do what he says he will do. Instead of growing bitter or growing calloused or growing cynical, we see worship. And the way we cultivate expectation in our lives is through worship. It's through seeing God for who he is and and loving him and trusting him and adoring him and praising him. That's, That's how this happens. And so we worship our way into anticipation and expectation. Worship happens when we stop seeing God as something and instead of seeing him as everything. Worship happens when we stop seeing God as someone or something and start seeing him as everything. And Simeon did that. I pray this would be true of you and pray it would be true of me. The expectation would fill our hearts. Again, can I just be really practical? For a lot of us, we come into this room every Sunday morning hoping that the gathering will lead us to worship. But the better way to come into these moments is to come worshiping into the gathering. Now, should the gathering call us to worship? Does it elicit worship? And sure it does. But we should be worshiping all week long. And when we show up on Sunday morning here with God's people, we are just ready to pour out the overflow of what God's been doing all week. But in the American church, we've got it backwards. We wear ourselves out all week, not waiting on God, blowing our lives out, and we show up on Sunday morning hoping to get a little pick-me-up, a little power-up just to make it through the next week. What if we begin to reverse that? What if expectation begin to fill our hearts as Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, as we get closer to the, this gathering on Sunday, we are so excited because we get to worship God with his people in the presence of his spirit. It might change everything. So how do we cultivate waiting through patience, through expectation? And then lastly, our last big idea this morning 
is through faithfulness. We wait faithfully for our King. We cultivate a heart of waiting when we are faithful, faithful to God's Word and to obey His promises. And I wish I had time just to walk through this text. If you want to do study on your own, the book of Isaiah is quoted all throughout this passage. And the, the prophet Isaiah and the book of Isaiah, it's, it's, a, it's a book of waiting. It's a book of hoping in a God that hasn't shown up yet. And God's people just faithfully looking for him. And in Simeon and Mary and Joseph and this remnant, they are faithfully obeying, keeping the law, pressing on, worshiping, moving forward. Friends, one of the marks that, again, we pray would define our lives as a church is that we would be a people faithful. Faithful to study God's Word, faithful to love God's Word, and faithful to obey God's Word. We will not live lives of waiting unless we are loving God's Word. Living that out. So in conclusion, my time is up. I just want to bring you back to the question I asked at the beginning this morning. Do you wait well? What, what stands in your way of waiting on the king this morning? What distracts you from letting your heart and your soul rest in God this morning? And I just want to let you bow your head and close your eyes. We're going to come into a time of response through the Lord's Supper. And as you do, I just want to remind you, the reason why we are able to do this is because of Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says that we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance. That's the waiting word, the race that sets before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. That's a waiting word despising the shame, see at the right hand of God. The way our hearts begin to wait on God is by trusting in Jesus. And so now is an opportunity for us to examine our hearts, turn our lives back to our King. Father, I just pray for my brothers and sisters and ask that now as we come to your table, that you would strip away the sin that keeps us from resting in you, waiting on you, and that you'd help our hearts become fully devoted to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray.